Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the round two podcast. My name is Nikki and I am your host and I am super excited to be here. This is a fun week because I have my first guest and she is someone who is truly fascinating. She is one of my friends from college, one of my sorority sisters from college. Um, Thanks to the power of social media, we've managed to stay in touch over the last 20 plus years. And we are coming to you from the Bay Area. We're actually sitting in Jen's closet because we thought it would be more acoustically friendly. True story. True story. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to get going. So, Jen, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yes. First, I just want to give a shout out to Nikki. I am so honored to be here and be a guest with her. And like Nick said, we are long um, time friends, USD girls for Alpha Phi sorority sisters. Pretty awesome. And thank goodness for social media. We've just stayed in touch. And it's been pretty awesome because in the last year, we've actually been meeting up in person, which is just an extra special connection. But So much more fun. Yes, definitely fun. We had a great day today. In fact, a full day together. But Um, I'm just really happy to be here and I'm excited to share a little bit about kind of my life, my journey. It's definitely a little bit of a crazy one. And I'll just share a little bit about who I am with you guys before we kind of dive in. Um, I'm 44, not ashamed ever to to say my age. Yes, Um, I am. I'm not either. And I love it. And I have to tell you guys, for anybody that might be listening to this, maybe in your 20s, 30s. 40 is effing amazing. If you're 20 or 30 and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to hit 40, be excited because I have to tell you, they are the best. I mean, I actually think 50 is going to be amazing, 60, et cetera. I am finally just now, I would say in the last five years, extremely comfortable in my own skin, very confident. All of that stuff that you go through in your younger years, it's all shaping you and getting you ready for an awesome time. So I'm just going to divert to that. 40s are amazing. So just have to give a shout out to any 40-year-olds that might be listening. We are living our best life. But um, back to me. I am a mom of two girls, two daughters. I love them so much. I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. I am actually married to my high school sweetheart, kind of crazy. We've been together for about 26, almost 27 years, and we've been married for 20 years as of this past July. That's like more than half your life you've been together. It is. Isn't that wild when you think of it that way? I love that. So it's crazy. Um, And one little fun fact about me and another big part of my life. So first, I have the family side. That is actually a huge priority in my life and, and a lot of what I do. But the other big chunk of my life is my career. And I am a police lieutenant. I have been in law enforcement now. This is my 20th year and kind of risen through the ranks. And I'll share a little bit more about that journey for sure. I'm sure at some point tonight, maybe, maybe not. And if not, I'll come back on. Don't you worry. <laughs> but no, um, that's that's pretty much a little bit about kind of my family, my career. Other than that, I love my friends. I'm a huge fitness, health and nutrition, just I don't even know, enthusiast, I would say. Um, Before I became a cop, I was actually a teacher and I did personal training on the side. And so I fell in love with health and fitness and nutrition and the power of movement and kind of treating your body really well via nutrition at a young age. And it's something that has stuck with me. And it's also kind of that third arm. I've got family and friends, I've got my career, and then my third arm, and I will say is my health and fitness and and just wellness, overall wellness, because I truly believe in the power of movement and healthy eating, et cetera. So move I'm, it or lose it. That's amen. What my, my parents always say, move it or lose it. So she says move it or lose it. And I am fully about movement is medicine because I can be having the worst day ever or the most stressful time at work or whatever. And if I get home and I go out for a walk, just a simple walk, it doesn't have to be some crazy class a major sweat session, just a walk, all of a sudden, boom, my mood is just elevated. So that is just a little nugget, a little kind of snapshot of who I am. And I'm sure Nikki's going to have some fun little questions to get us going a little (laughs) bit more deeper, but that's me in a nutshell. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you again for being here. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. So, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about our paths in life and where we were headed and then 
a change, whether it's a good change, a bad change, unexpected, something that became intentional that you hadn't really thought about in the past. And then how did that change your life? Where are you now? What did you learn? And what, you know, what things are important that you feel sharing is, you know, a good key learning that is something that other people could benefit from? Yeah. So that to me is not something I can say just one thing. I kind of in my mind broke it up and I think this might resonate with a bunch of different people on here and and no matter what age you are. And I kind of have three things and they all kind of fall in line when you actually look at them after. But I'll start with something that happened in my 20s. Uh, I graduated with from USD with my degree and a teaching credential. And my lifelong dream was to become an elementary school teacher. And I thought that was it. I was going to get married, have a white picket fence, be a kindergarten, first grade, maybe second grade teacher and live my best life, have my summers off, have babies, etc. I literally, you guys had my life planned out from probably the age of eight or nine. And I graduated and I was just following that path. And it was just So what I was going to do, I was so comfortable in it. I was passionate about it. I was so excited about it until all of a sudden I wasn't. And right about three, four years after we graduated, my husband and I had gotten married, my high school sweetheart that, that I mentioned, and I got a teaching job. I was teaching in a school district in a new area where we had just moved. We bought our first home. I'm telling you guys, my life dream and my plan was just panning out exactly like I thought. And I have to just stop right there. And for anyone who's listening, thinking like, yeah, I have a pretty good life plan. Everything's going to be great. And you're one of those people that likes to just check boxes. And once you hit them, you're like, cool, that's great. I think it's great to have goals and I think it's great to have big dreams and visions, but I think it's even more great when you have the comfort level to go, wait, this isn't actually what I want to do. And this isn't actually the direction I want to go. And you have to be really brave to kind of stop that happy little straight road and take that hard right down a dirt road that might be bumpy, that might be extremely scary. Cause I'll be honest, it was really scared for me at that point. We got married, we had a mortgage, we had responsibilities. And I came home with a job offer from the school I was at, you know, 24 years old. And my husband was like, I'm so excited. And I'm like, I'm not. And in that moment, I had to be really brave. I had to dig really deep and I had to really evaluate kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And I think too often we get sucked into what we think others want us to do, what we think our dreams and goals have always been. So we're really scared to pivot. And anyone who might be listening to this that might want to change jobs or change something big in their life, I am living proof of why you should do it. Because I can tell you 20 years later, and we'll get into that in a minute, I am so freaking happy. I love my job. I I can't tell you how happy I was when I made the switch. So and what I, what was it though that when you're 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 living what you thought was your dream from a little kid, what was it that made you say you want to make a, a total polar opposite switch into law enforcement? So I'll tell you, I I loved the service part of teaching. I loved interacting with and helping the kids, but what I didn't really love was the politics. And the fact that I really didn't feel like I was able to make a true impact because I was being told what the curriculum had to be. And I couldn't really go out of those lines. And I kept thinking, I'm a really creative, like, I love a challenge. I love something that's going to push me. And I just sat there going, they're going to tell me pretty much what I need to do and what needs to fit in this little box. And there's not really much I can do to go outside of that box to give these kids me. That's crazy because you think like kindergarten would be like ABCs and coloring and that there would be like a lot of leeway with learning shapes and animals and things to make it really your own, but still get the goal of these. this is what the kids need to learn. So that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And you guys, it was not. And it was fun. Don't get me wrong. The other part of it was one of my best friends at the school was the kindergarten co-teacher of the job offer I got. And so, of course, she was pressuring me. My parents were so proud of me. Here I was, got this degree from USD, got a teaching job during that time. A lot of teachers were being laid off and I'm getting a job. 
And you guys, I had a knot in my stomach. I was like clutching the offer letter going, I'm not going to sign this. I'm not going to sign this. But wait, I have to sign this. And it was like this whole dialogue that went into my head. And just to fast forward for the interest of time, we're laying in bed. I'm laying in bed with my husband that night. And he's like, you don't want to do this, do you? And I was like, no. Like, I definitely know in my heart I'm not going to sign this. And he was like, okay. So the other thing I'm going to say to you for anyone in a relationship, if you don't have a significant other that is going to support you no matter how scary or crazy it is, not the right person. I have to say that just out loud and give my husband props for what he was able to do because I can tell you there are so many people in relationships, especially with we just had a mortgage and we had bills in real life that might have said, well, like you have to take it. We'll figure something out later, but you have to take it. He did not waver for a second. And his support truly is what gave me the courage to actually go after my dreams because he was the first person I actually shared. So to answer your question, because I went down a tangent, is I've always been interested in crime movies, detective stuff. Um, I We grew up in the city we currently still live in, which is also the city that I serve in. And we'd be on dates, my husband and I. And I'd be like, chase that black and white when they'd be going code three down the city streets. Like, I was so seriously so into it. And oh ask him gosh, any movies we'd go amazing. on, any dates we'd go on in high school, I'd be like, it has to be like a crime, like suspense movie. I was yeah. just always so into it. But I have to tell you guys, so much of me not wanting to talk about getting into law enforcement was because back in the day when I got in, it was 2003 and 2002, end of 2002, beginning of 2003. And women really weren't in law enforcement and especially not. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. A sorority girl from University of San Diego. It just didn't (laughs) exist. It really didn't. And so, you know, it's funny because I remember, you know, that was before social media. I don't even think MySpace was around yet back in 2003. And I remember just through, you know, the grapevine, which was like random phone calls. I remember hearing that you had become a cop. And I remember being like, what? what? Right. Really? Okay. How? Yes. How did this happen from kindergarten teacher to cop? And actually, Nikki can attest to this. I was a cheerleader. I was super, you know, into the sorority. Definitely a girly girl. And I have no shame in my game saying that I'm, I I was and still am very much a girly girl. I like to get my nails done. I love makeup. I like to do my hair. I like to get dressed. That still hasn't changed. But again, did not really exist or very, very few women that were like that in my mind in law enforcement at that time. So it was also another hurdle I had to get over with. I don't fit, yet I did. And I made that place for myself. And so again, if you're listening to this and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, you can. I let so many sort of societal norms of what a cop should be get into my mind and make me believe I couldn't. And I went in there and I was like, no, actually I can, I will, and I am. And it's it was the best thing ever. So to fast forward, my husband was really supportive. I applied literally the next day to my first agency. My background was super quick. And within three months and like a week, I was starting the police academy. Let oh me gosh. tell you guys this, never shined a boot wasn't military, as Nikki knows, cheerleader, sorority, the whole bit, never held a gun, never done high-speed driving. In fact, didn't even like to do high-speed driving. I'm not the guy that's like, let me go to the track with my car and learn how to learn how to do code <laughs> three driving. Not my shtick, but I will say this. From the moment I parked in that academy and had the RTO screaming at me, it was a very paramilitaristic environment. It was push-ups. You were running in a suit and heels the first day through like a dirt parking lot carrying your gear. I was like, what did I just freaking sign up for? I have never looked back. I craved going there. I loved what I was learning. I had to learn law. I had to learn procedures. I had to learn arrest and control techniques. I had to learn how to drive fast, shoot a gun. All the things you can't even imagine. And all while it was very boot camp military, but I effing loved it, you guys. And at that point, Were I there knew. any other women in your We did. Boot so, camp class? yes. Yeah, so, our academy class started off with about, I want to say, 68, maybe 70 recruits. And we graduated with about 58. There was about 10 or so that, mm-hmm. 10 or 12, that got, that didn't make it. Yeah. Um, and uh, of that group, there was. I want to say six of us, maybe five, maybe six. Okay. Um, definitely so like 10%? Even less. Yeah. And actually 
crazily at this point, if you look at the law enforcement statistics, women are still only about 10 to 12 percent overall in the U.S. of law enforcement, which is crazy. But we are definitely it's it's tripled since I got in. So anyways, long and short, went to the police academy and have never looked back. Like I legitimately am living out what I never knew was my dream because I had the courage to say, I'm not going to do what I always plan on doing. I'm going to totally just divert. And so it's been a journey. There's been hard days. There's been amazing days. There's been days I've cried. There's been days that I sit there and think, I can't believe they pay me to do this. It's so fun. So it's it goes all up and down. The greatest thing about it is no two days are the same. And ultimately, I am truly making a difference and helping people every day. It sounds so cliche, but I leave and I see people at their worst. And I know that because of my presence and my problem solving abilities and the law and everything else I'm able to apply, I am legitimately saving them from their worst experiences. And there's nothing more fulfilling than that. Yeah, period. That's awesome. So. I mean, and you've managed to make a really impressive career. You've moved up in the ranks as you've spent your time there and done so many different levels of police work. Yes. So just to give you a little snapshot of my journey, I started off as a deputy in the custody setting. So I worked in a jail, which was crazy. Two years um, in jail. I have to tell you guys. Probably the greatest thing, because as you know from my journey, I didn't really talk the talk, walk the walk, and have the street smarts. To be quite frank, I grew up in kind of a bubble, a really nice community, you know, Catholic, Irish, Italian family, kind of traditional, really strong family bonds, friends that were supportive, etc. So I didn't know kind of a lot of the other side of what kind of went on. And being in custody was and probably amazing. Probably had never been to jail. Oh yourself, no, 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 so. no, nothing like that. In <laughs> fact, I was so anal, you guys. I was always so scared of getting in trouble. I think Nancy Reagan and her like drug. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Scared me so bad that I was not that girl. Like I was literally such a rule follower. So again, getting into this profession and being a little bit naive was a challenge. But the jail and the custody setting was. So eye-opening to me. And I had the luxury, and many people just die over this part of my career, of working graveyards. And, you know, that's when the inmates are sleeping, and I would do my jail checks and make sure everybody was okay and, you know, get them dinner, et cetera, and do what you do in jail. I could do a whole nother podcast on that, so I won't go too crazy. (laughs) But I really did spend time getting to know the inmates. And so I would just take it upon myself to pull them out one at a time each night and just go... I kind of did a mini podcast on the jail cell, which is crazy. So I had about 110 inmates on my jail cell, and I'd pull one out. Sometimes I'd pull them out twice, and I would just go, tell me why you do what you do. Like, why did you get in here? Tell me about your life. And I would just talk to them. That's fascinating. It's, it's, it's phenomenal, and I have to tell you guys the level of respect. I have to tell you, anybody that ever gets arrested or makes a bad decision is just that. They've made a bad decision. They're not a bad human. They've made a bad effing yeah, so decision. So, like, most people aren't career criminals that are end up there? No, I mean, some of them are. Some of them make repeat bad decisions. Yeah. But again, I'm going to say this to you. They make a bad decision. I'm not going to sit there and say, and I never was like that, and I still am not this day. They're not horrible, evil people. They're human beings that are just like me that have made a bad effing decision for many different reasons. And I don't ever judge a book by its cover. So I would seriously pull these inmates out and I would talk to them and they would ask me questions and we would just chat. And really it gave me an understanding of kind of where they came from and their life path and also of why they did what they did. And they talked to me. A lot of them would share kind of like, hey, if you're ever out on the street, because I started to, they started to actually respect me as well as a deputy and as a human. And they were like, look, if you ever get ever get on the street, I want to share some tips with you. And so I kind of learned how to talk the talk and walk the walk while I was in the jail, yeah. which was amazing, which leads me to kind of my next life moment that I will share that was life altering. And that was becoming a mom. So three years after becoming an officer and, and being um, with the sheriff's office, working in the jail, I ended up lateraling to the PD I am at right now, which was a whole crazy thing, but I did it after the birth of my first child. And I was a new mom. 
I had so a So you three- were pregnant the whole time you were working in a jail? So I was pregnant the whole time I was working in the jail, and then I went on light duty and worked in, like, an admin wing of the jail. And uh-huh. I worked all the way up until the end of my pregnancy. And I planned on staying with that agency, but then my whole family moved. And I knew that if I wanted to be an amazing mom but also an amazing officer, I needed to be close to kind of where I was at home. Plus, I needed to be by family for help, to be quite honest, especially with my husband's schedule because he is a firefighter. I don't know if I mentioned that and works bizarre hours. So we I lateraled to my current agency. I had a three month old at home. I was a brand new mom, completely crazy, life altering, um, but also magical at the same time and trying to at that point navigate my career that, to be honest, selfishly for the last three years was all I had to worry about. I mean, yeah, my husband, my friends, my family. But then you add a child that I've brought into this world and the the word mom, and you suddenly are like, wait, how am I going to do all of this? How am I going to keep being really good at work? Because I don't have a job that you can't be not good at it. You have to be on your game. You, if you don't get sleep, you better figure it out because it's life and death half of the time. And so you really have to be on your A game. And having a child, I think, made me so much better at my job. It made me actually, I feel like I was a little bit more safe because I think I might have been a little bit more edgy, kind of in the gray, felt like I was invincible because it was just Mm -hmm. me. And then I had this human at home that I knew needed me. And so it gave me a little bit more purpose for getting home at night. Not saying I wanted to go out and like get hurt or something like that prior to her, but it truly did make me... just changed your perspective on everything. It did. It did. Um, But I had to do field training with a newborn at home. I was working multiple different shifts, different hours, not sleeping a lot, trying to breastfeed. Again, not a lot of women in law enforcement. It wasn't like they had breastfeeding lactation rooms. I didn't even tell them what I was doing. I was waiting till my lunch break at two in the morning, going in the locker room, taking off my vest, taking off my gear, pumping, hiding my breast milk in a cooler in my locker because I didn't want them to know what I was doing, putting my my stuff on. And they're like, where did you go? And I was like, oh, I just had to get some stuff done. Like I didn't even want to tell them because again, they're amazing, but they were all men. I didn't have one woman on my shift. And I was just like, I, I can't. So It was so crazy, but you guys, it only made me stronger because I knew if I could get through that 20 weeks where I had a field training officer in the car with me, a freaking newborn at home, and get through learning, because I had to basically relearn everything I did in the academy when I came to this agency because I was out on the street driving a black and white, contacting people. It wasn't a controlled setting like the jail. So it was crazy, but it was amazing. And I can honestly tell you, I found my forever home in my current agency and I've been there now 17 years. Like I said, I had a newborn and now she's 17, over 17 years. And I love it. And as Nikki said, I have had the amazing fortune of having a lot of different assignments. I was on patrol for a long time. I got to be a field training officer and train all the new officers. I was a detective in detectives. I did sexual assaults, um, and pretty much sexual assaults for the most part, but a lot of child abuse cases, very hard because heartbreaking. It really, it really was. And at that point I had two daughters because I had my second daughter, um, right before I went in the detective bureau. So a lot of my victims were similar ages of them and it was very hard to shut that off. But again, so rewarding because of the fact that, um, I was, putting some really bad people in jail for a really long time with some really heavy cases. So I knew the work I was doing was good work. Yeah. So, and it was nice to be able to connect with those kids on the level of a mom because I have a different vibe. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely a little bit different. I am who I am and who I am at home and who I am with my girls is often how I am at work. Because like I said to you, I'm dealing with human beings, even if some of them have made a bad choice, some of them are victims, some of them are suspects. They want to be treated with respect, and that's what I give them. And I give it, and I get it in return. And my number one tool when I'm at work is not anything on my belt. It is my voice. It is my level of communication. It is treating people with respect and getting it back. Unfortunately, what happens is others don't give that same respect back, and it's a dangerous situation. And and that's when you have to go to something on your belt. And that's what people don't understand. Yeah. No officer in their right mind goes out on their shift going, oh, I hope I get into a fight today. I hope I have to use something on my belt. I'm always praying I don't have to touch any of that stuff. Yeah. Truly. Well, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier when I was talking about how I've 
been pulled over a handful of times <laughs> and not gotten ticketed. And you said it's probably because you were treating them with respect. And and I said, well, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly am. I mean, I, I, I never expect to not get a ticket when I get pulled over. But the fact that I had have had four different instances for the same violation and not got pulled over um, is like, I think that, you know, I have some good luck there, but you're right. I mean, I'm always like, oh, sure. I, I know. I know I was in the carpool lane. Right. And I have to say, truly, it is because of the way you treat people. And I think people don't realize when we pull people over, first of all, there's always good reason. And a lot of times I have to be honest, I would say over half the time that I pull people over, I don't give a ticket because I think just getting pulled over and talking to the person, if they understand what they did and they're respectful and you're respectful back and you're able to go, look, you just flew through a stop sign near a park. Imagine yeah. if a little kid ran out after their soccer ball and imagine what would happen. And then they're like, oh my God, you are so right. I'm so sorry. That goes just as long as giving them a ticket and having them have to deal with court, et cetera. So yeah. again, a misconception or per- misperception of police officers. It's not like we go out there going, oh, I can't wait to give tickets today. No, I'd rather not. But if is everybody it true just... that officers have quotas for no, the day? No, it's not. And that really? is another crazy thing. I can speak for my agency alone. Yeah. I don't know every agency. Sure, sure, sure. But I will tell you 100% not. Oh my gosh, Period, that's crazy. End of that's story. like the biggest, like, misconception. I feel like everybody's like, oh, they probably just had to hit their quota for the day. Nope. It is. And it's funny. Whenever (laughs) I hear that, you guys, I have like the biggest eye roll because I'm like, if you only knew, like there are so many misconceptions, but that is definitely a funny one. It's not true. Not in our agency at all. That's wild. It is. It's good to know though. It is. Right. (laughs) And I will say anybody listening, if you do get pulled over, highly recommend just keep your hands on the steering wheel. Don't go fishing around for anything in your car. If they ask to see your license and registration insurance, put it out politely. If they ask if you know what you did wrong and you know you did something, just say it. That goes such a long way because, again, you're a human who made an error and not a horrible person. Yeah. And a lot of times, those are the times you're going to go like, you know what, I'm going to give a warning. It's not like we have to. There's there's very much like certain things that are like letter of the law, and then there's other things that are spirit of the law. And okay. like I said, I can pull you over and give you a warning, and it does just the same thing, and it's probably even better. For some reason, that scene from um, Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey oh popped gosh. in my head yes. when he can't lie and he gets pulled over and the cop yes. asks him if he knows why and he just rambles on for yes, like yes. two minutes on all the things that he was doing and then pops up in his glove box with all the parking tickets. You guys, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I promise you I have had so many different personalities. 20 years in this profession and all the people I have stopped or helped or calls I've gone to. It's unbelievable the things people do. Like I have, I could write a book. I really I mean, should. You probably should. I probably should. It'd be fun. So <laughs> that's um, amazing. It is. It's pretty crazy. So just to kind of wrap up my my career path, I then got promoted to sergeant in 2015, and then lieutenant. And as a sergeant, you run a team on the streets, and it's probably the best job in law enforcement, in my opinion, because. A lot of it for me felt like it came back to my teaching era. Like a lot of the things I learned in teaching, I had a team of officers that were mine. I was in charge of them, but they also were doing amazing work. And I was just making sure that they had everything that they needed, that they stayed safe. They did everything right. So it was like this checks and balances. We both did it. We all did it for each other, which was amazing. But having that impact over a team was magical. I got to run a lineup every day. I got to really get to know them as humans and just grow to love them so much. And we got through a lot of crazy times together. My last team that I supervised had three homicides within a three-month period. We were first on scene for all of them. It was crazy chaotic, but so amazing to watch them thrive and and do a good job and get to be a part of all of that. That's cool. I didn't know that that's how that worked, that there were like teams. And I think, you know, coming from a, you know, playing sports as a kid, like the teamwork aspect is so so high and you I mean that really transferred over into when we were in our sorority Mm -hmm. for me it made it really natural for me to want to be in leadership positions because I had played on a sports team and I had held the I had was a captain of my my volleyball teams and so I naturally wanted to be in leadership within our sorority and then we had our different little departments within there so it kind of just continues as you I think as we move on as adults into the working world, if you've had those experiences, then you're like, oh, well, I want to run another team. This is really fun. And 
It does. I think I think being on sports teams, honestly, just to to divert to that for a second, is huge. And I think being a part of a good team with a really good coach makes you want to be that impactful person later in life. And even in your job right now, looking at what you're doing and leading a team and how amazing you are and kind of you've probably picked up little nuggets from coaches along the way. Oh, absolutely. Other leaders in our sorority along the way. Totally. Sometimes things to be, sometimes things not to be. I'll tell you right now, some of my best leaders maybe weren't my favorite people, but I learned a lot from them, mm-hmm. from their tough love. Sometimes I also learned how not to be, and that's not a knock on them, but just how that didn't work for me. Oh, 100%. You can always take from – I mean, I'm naturally an optimistic person, so I always try to find – the positive in any situation, no matter if it's Same. a work situation or a friendship situation or a situation where my feelings are hurt. I'm always like, there's got to be some sort of positive that I can walk away from, from always. all of these situations. And I think, you know, when, you know, if you're in a work situation, if you have a manager that like maybe you don't jive with, like maybe you learn how you don't want to be as a manager or a leader or a team lead or supervisor or whatever it may be, but you're still like taking little pieces as you go along. A hundred percent. And the other thing I want to just throw out there with that is if you ever have a really difficult coach or supervisor or friend for that matter, Sometimes, and this isn't saying quit, this is just saying sometimes I always recommend speaking your mind and having an open, you know, open ears and listening. But sometimes you also have to kind of know when to just walk away. And I think people have a really hard time with that in life. And I think it's a huge skill. And so if you're listening to this and you're somebody who might be struggling with a relationship situation, a friendship, or with a boss, or with a coach, or whoever, and you keep going, I don't understand, like, we don't get anywhere when we talk. Maybe that's just not the right fit for you. It's okay to kind of walk away. Try and speak your mind. Tell them how they make you feel and tell them what's not working. And if they're not receptive to that, stop. Sometimes just stop Stop trying. Like, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I probably say all the time in work situations or and even in life, communication, communication, communication. And I feel like we're constantly learning how to communicate with people and the way we communicate with people evolves over the course of time. I mean, you could have great communication with somebody today and in six months time, you could be at a standstill where you're like, how are we not communicating right now? But as I think that, yeah, you have to figure out and constantly work at communicating in ways that work for all the different relationships in your life. And at some, yeah, at some point you might be communicating just fine, but you might realize through that communication that this isn't working. This isn't working. And that's okay too. I yeah. will say like, that's something that I think I really honed in on when I talked about being 40 and loving life in the beginning of this. I really honed in on that in my forties because I was somebody who before type A, I'm a Virgo. I'm just going to throw that out there for all you Virgos out there, but people pleaser. I was always people pleasing, sometimes to the point where I put myself last and my cup was empty and I was constantly refilling it just to give it out. And I love that. And I still am doing that in many ways, but I also really found and moving to my third, I'll kind of move into my third life-changing, life-altering moment which will lead me down this path. But I sometimes found that letting go of people who no longer sort of fit my vibe, that's the best way I can put it. I don't want to say it in any other way other than they just don't fit my current vibe. And that is glass overflowing, always looking for that silver lining, positive vibes. We are so blessed to be alive. That's literally how I wake up every morning is like, I am so blessed another day. Like I'm going to go slay this day. Like I really do have a mantra every morning when I wake up, I get up, I have coffee, I stretch, I work out all before my kids even get up. And I truly feel so blessed. And there are just some people that I found in my life that were constantly just so negative and kind of dragging me down. And I would find myself getting, it's very draining and it's, it affects your whole vibe. And so I'm going to fast forward just to my last kind of life-altering event, and I think so many of you are going to relate to this and have had your own experiences, and I won't go too crazy deep into this because, again, it would probably be a whole other podcast, but, you know, 
2020 started, I had this whole like 2020 vision, huge goals. Life was like thriving. Didn't we all? Yes, didn't we all? I, <laughs> I think everybody back. was like 2020, like roaring 20s. And then like the whole like seeing clearly 2020. Yes, 2020 vision. Oh my gosh. If I had, if I had a nickel or, or a dollar for every time I said like 2020 is going to be my year. You guys, I think it was my hashtag <laughs> 2020 vision or some freaking thing like that. I don't yeah. even remember, but it was definitely something huge and I was like kept telling my husband this is it this is gonna yeah, be the best this year is, this is it the kids were feeling the vibe like it was just a vibe and then it wasn't like it wasn't for any of you because I can tell you anybody who wants to try and tell me 2020 was magical I'm gonna tell you I love you and I'm all about glass overflowing but you're lying to me right now because it wasn't but I will say again silver lining a lot of magic came from it and I'll get to that in a minute but 2020 being a mom brought a really large set of challenges because COVID hit and suddenly what happened to my kids? Oh, they were homeschooled and all of their social life as they knew it gone. We also had to obviously worry about the health risks of COVID. And again, I'm not going to turn this into anything down that road, but just in general, it was hard for everyone. It wasn't just hard for us. It was hard for everyone. everyone. You know, it's funny that you're saying everyone with such emphasis because when um, my mom and I went traveling in the summer of 2021, mm-hmm. I remember saying to her at one point when we were we were sitting outside somewhere and we were in Greece and I remember looking around and seeing so many people from so many different places. Um, there was a lot of European travelers. There was mm-hmm. a lot of American travelers. Greece at the time was pretty easy to get into from a, you know, COVID perspective. So a lot of people went there. And I remember looking around as we were just sitting outside and I said to my mom, I said, this is so crazy to think about. I said, but it like look in looking at all these people and hearing all these different languages being spoken right now, it it was it, it's this last year and a half impacted everybody in the world. Everyone you every guys. single person. Like every single person. We could go and talk to anybody here and say like how like how did your life change like what happened like where was what was it like where you lived and it was such a weird realization even though like as everything was happening especially in 2020 we all knew that it was worldwide but it was still so like bizarre to me to be sitting in a foreign country and hearing all these other languages and seeing all these other people and realizing that like collectively we all went through something together absolutely it's so funny nick that you say that because a year that I truly believe divided us in so many ways, we also have such a united front when it comes to having lived through it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think all of us almost will look at each other and be like, oh, 2020. Like, it's almost like an eyeball. Like, you'll look and anybody who never really got to experience is going to like, you don't know. You don't even know. We yeah. experienced something It'll be so like for us huge. hearing about like the Great Depression yes. or, you know, one of yes. the world wars that we read about, but we weren't alive to experience. A hundred and ten percent. It's going to be. I mean, our kids, COVID is like part of their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. They don't know a life kind of without it, It's which is bizarre to me. And their kids will be reading about it in history books mm-hmm. and being like, wow, you actually were in high school when this COVID came. Like it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. And then, you know. It, it kind of started with all of that and then it was everybody go home and then it was the world shut down and then it was the great debate on mask and no mask, vax and no, ma- no vax and that whole thing started happening and then there were some very significant police incidents that happened um, that legitimately rocked our world and between COVID and that and the world being shut down and then Pretty much, I can say this because I know it, because I felt it, because I lived it, a profession that was so respected and noble. And I know people had their issues with cops before because it's never fun to get pulled over, et cetera. And there's always the jokes and the quota jokes and the cops that donut shop shop jokes and all of that stuff. It was all pretty much lighthearted and people at the end of the day pretty much respected us. And then all of a sudden, this job that... I felt so blessed to be doing and know how wonderful the people I work with are and and just the way that I treat people and the way that I go about my my day as as a cop was being questioned every single where you you looked. 
it was on social media. The hate was real. The twisted stories, the one-sided stories flooding the news, the media, in the classrooms. You guys have to remember also as a mom, I had teenagers that were hearing so many anti-police things in classes. Mm. I had one of my daughter's friends who was a, a longtime friend call her up a couple weeks after a significant incident and said, I can't be friends with you anymore because your mom's a cop. That same girl was like wanting to take pictures with me when I read at the, you know, career fair day at their elementary school. So it was like, it was truly life altering. And I had to really kind of lean in on my inner circle and really like kind of close off to the hate. Um, The other thing that's hard about this is I'm a really big social media person back to what Nikki was saying in the beginning. It's kind of what connected us. And and I have a lot of great connections and really good vibes in social media. I share every morning my workouts. I love to just put positive vibes out into the air. I still do it to this day. But social media that once was a really fun kind of like carefree space for me became full of negative hate. And I had people reaching out to me that I hadn't seen or talked to since before high school that were reaching out, trying to ask me police questions and asking me my opinion on certain things and judging me. And it was truly devastating. And it was at the same time, guys, I was still going to work, showing up to protect and serve the community that I worked for. So I was working all day doing real great work, like helping people in their weakest, hardest moments, facing dangerous situations, doing it day in and day out, trying to keep my team of young officers, because I was a sergeant at the time, upbeat and feeling like they had a purpose being there because they were all going through a lot of mental health issues themselves. I mean, to be like, to have like that be your first year year as an officer as an officer and being like wait is this what it's like how am I gonna do you guys I I have to say I put all of them on such a pedestal in my mind because I had prior to what everything that transpired in 2020 there was so much civil unrest so much judgment so much sheer hate and I get it I get it because I have to say this before I go any further if I was not an officer and didn't know the amazing humans I work with and the amazing work we do and how well our procedures and policies are and how we're governed by post, which is, is different in every state. And I'm, I can just tell you what I know about California law enforcement. Like we have policies and procedures that are already in place for everything that kind of the world is catching up with. And we already had that in place. So I kind of knew the good that we were doing and just to be lumped in with one horrendous, horrific, inexcusable action that I can tell you 100% wouldn't have happened in my agency, it made me sick. Yeah. And that's the part that I'm just like, I mean, there's so many different professions where there's going to be bad apples, period, well, end of story. that's the thing that I think is so easy to forget. Like, there's bad people everywhere doing everything. Right. And there, that's what I think it makes, you know, we have things that get so highlighted and the media runs with so many things or they run with certain stories and go so hard in it. So you're just feeling like you're hearing about it on everywhere you turn, everywhere you, you look. Right. And then it's like changing. It's trying to change the, the narrative, trying to change the way people think when if you really stop and think about it, whatever profession any of us are in, there's going to be people that probably shouldn't be there or aren't doing it for the right reasons anymore and shouldn't be there and should have been weeded out. And it's just unfortunate when these things get put under a massive worldwide magnifying glass and then everybody suffers as a result when the majority of the people are there doing good. Well, that's exactly right. And and unfortunately, there wasn't even a platform for us to talk about the good we were doing because nobody wanted to hear it. Sure. And that so that coupled with the fact that everywhere you turned, news, in school, in classes, at dinner conversations, it was just snippets and clips and not the full story and just videos and partial clips, et cetera. I don't even 
wonder why people felt the way they did. Because if I wasn't, like I said, firsthand seeing it and doing it and living it, I probably would have doubted it too and been like, wait, what is going on? Mm -hmm. But having lived through that and back to where I was going when I kind of got onto that tangent, the people that were new officers during that time and like just got out of the police academy and stuck with it and are amazing. They're the heroes in my book because they didn't have the 17 years of amazing times when you had the respect and love of the world for well, the most part. They probably are looking at it now and thinking, well, if that was my first year and I got through that. Amen. Like, look at, like, look at how it probably has shaped them. Um, I mean, I've told this story to a lot of people that I work with uh, many times because it's one of these instances in my young, early work life that really shaped me. Um, I was working for a commercial real estate company. We had a client. Our main contact there was this man. He was probably, I mean, I think he's probably about 80 now. So at the time he was probably early sixties and he was very, very old school. When I joined the team, you know, he asked one of the brokers I was working for, um, you know, oh, does she get there early and make the coffee? And he was like, no, that's not part of her job. She's here to work with us and we're teaching her all of these things. And, um, I would work with the, our client on a very regular basis. I did all of our marketing material. Anyway, very long story short, he was one of these people who would rip everything to shreds and you would kind of, we'd always end up back where we had started. Like, Hey, here's, here's what we think is a great new marketing material. No, 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 no. And then we'd get right back where we were. And then he would think it was amazing. But a lot, often those conversations were met with a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of him telling me how I wasn't very smart and like they, you know, maybe they took a chance on me, but blah, blah, blah. But one day he was very mad at me and I got him on the phone and he said to me, you know, Nikki, I like you but you don't know your ass from a hot rock. Now, I don't even know what that means because like, what kind of hot rock are we talking about? Like, are we talking about like a hot stone at um, the massage place? That's what I'm going to go with. Are we talking about a rock that maybe you lay on like on the side of the lake? I don't know. I mean, those are some nice rocks. If you (laughs) ask me, Um, I don't know how it relates to my ass, but (laughs) I will say that guy was so mean to me that that has shaped how I handle with difficult, how I handle difficult people mm-hmm. moving forward. And I have yet to run across anyone that's ever made me feel as bad as he did in the workplace. So right. I'm always like, oh, well, I can handle this. I can handle this. So I imagine your officers are similar in that they are like, well, hey, my first year was 2020. Right. It's, it can only go up from there. I can't even tell you how much that just struck everything in my body Yes. So for them, but also for me, because I think we've talked about this. I also had really close friends, like friends that I consider family that turned on me because of the uniform I was wearing, because of my job, couldn't see past what the media was feeding them, couldn't see the good, even though they know the good, they know who I am. They too turned and it was devastating. But you guys, like Nikki just said, I took the hate and the judgment and the negative, unfair kind of vibes that were being put on me as a person and as an officer, and it only fueled my fire to just keep doing what I was doing and surround myself with really just good people, good, supportive people. So the silver lining in all of that is, yeah, I maybe lost some friends, but A, we overcame we overcame as a, as an, as a profession, we've overcome a lot of the hate and there's, there's been like a nice sort of momentum shift in this last few months, thank goodness. And, um, you know, which is a good thing, but B, it really spoke to me about really surrounding myself with people that were supportive, loving, and not allow myself to take that anymore, which was good. And I think, I think again, that was a silver lining and, and huge. Well, I think that it's totally true. And I think that like kind of what we were talking about earlier this afternoon, when you when you end up, you know, letting people go from your life and then you it's almost like you're making room and then you make room for other people to come into your life that more fit with where you are and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And 
just really add value that you're needing at this phase, right? At this stage of your life with who you are and who you want to surround yourself with and who you want to ultimately be and still continue to put out in the world. A hundred percent. And again, I don't think had I gone through all these horrible experiences, I ever would have realized that I was actually allowing a lot more negative people in my life to have, not only were they in my life, but they were actually taking pieces of my heart. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think too often we allow those people in and we're too scared or whatever it is. We just, we feel bad or whatever. And I just, I can't stress enough to really be confident, confident in who you are Put out who you are and if the right people don't come, if, if, if a friend that you've had forever sort of judges you and you start to feel really, be brave, walk away. Like, again, I'm not trying to be a jerk and say like, oh, just ditch all your friends. Again, I love my friends. I have a very wonderful inner circle, but there were some really hard, hard ones I had to let go of because mm-hmm. it just didn't fit kind of my current life and they were just very argumentative and everything always went negative and we'd be having a peaceful conversation and then suddenly it would turn dark. And I'm not saying every conversation with a friend has to be freaking butterflies and roses. It doesn't. I love really hard conversations. I like to disagree with my friends because then you learn, Mm -hmm. you see a different perspective. So it's not that I don't, even we're all not meant to be carbon copies of one another. We're not. That's the beautiful thing about this life. But ultimately, um, some people I realized just kind of weren't going to fit and it was a beautiful thing. And just to kind of close off, um, that last event, I am thriving in my job right now. I'm happy to say that, you know, I came back. I'm not going to lie to you guys. There was moments of doubt when I was like, can I keep doing this? I even had days where I was like, I don't even know if I can keep doing this. And for me to think about quitting something that I have worked so hard to get to where I am, that's pretty crazy, but it just shows the impact. While my job and where I'm at is in a really good place, I have to say I'm still kind of heartbroken with, I think, the majority of these people, the people that might will listen to this with kind of the, where the world is right now. I do think 2020 opened up on a positive. It united us in some ways because we all experienced something similar, but on a negative, it opened up this mentality that everything has to be almost one aside and a yeah. debate. So what I mean is you have to take a stance, whatever it is. I don't care what it is that you do take a side. So if it's, you're either on a side or B side, And there's really not a middle. And the world right now doesn't want to offer that middle ground. And I think it's important for all of us to to take back that middle ground. I want I that was so wonderfully said because that's so true. Because I truly do believe that at the end of the day, the majority of the people are in the middle. Agree, but unfortunately, we're not allowed to to voice our opinions because. I don't know why. I don't even know why, but I think it's the media that wants us to believe in one way. I think it's people that are very, very strongly opinionated opinionated about what they believe that want us to believe one way. And they don't want you to just be neutral, be in the middle. Because I really believe I'm really neutral and in the middle on a lot of things. And unfortunately, I find that the world right now is not accepting of that. I think that right now it's small minority like a small a small minority have the loudest voices yes and I think if the majority in the middle started talking more we would be able to get back to the middle ground versus this if you don't pick a side then you're bad right and I have to tell you the other thing is I think because People that are in the middle that actually want to speak feel that they're going to be judged. So there's a fear. There's a fear factor. And I'll tell you right now, I've had some friends even tell me, I support you, but like I won't do anything on social media because I just don't want to be seen as somebody who might be, you know, associating with. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I get it, but I get it. But how sad is that, you guys? It is sad. And I think and I think one of the things, too, that is unfortunate. I mean, and it's unfortunate, but it's also unrealistic. But it's unfortunate that we all don't, we only see what we see. Right. And there's so much more. And there are so many more layers. I mean, even tonight, like going to your police gas station. Right. Like, I didn't know you guys had that. That's right. like so 
Like, but it makes perfect sense. Right. You have cars that are out driving all day long, burning up gas. Why wouldn't you have your own gas station that's just for you guys to fill up? But, like, even something like that, like, it got me thinking. I'm like, there's so much that we don't know. You guys, yes. And, like, and, and that's the same. I mean, even when you think about, like, to completely, like, take it off of of your career but like even like with like like celebrity type stuff there's so much that you don't know there's with athletes there's so much that you don't know i mean with literally every single one of us we're all not we all don't have a camera on us 24 7 so everybody who wants to can have an all-access pass into our lives and see what we do each day so i think that that's just kind of like an important thing to recognize and remember when we're out feeling like we're being forced to choose A or choose B Mm -hmm. or being forced to keep quiet for fear of judgment is that like there's so much that we really don't know. Right. And I think that that's huge and I think it impacts us in every level. And I think to a certain point, we all judge whether you're judging what someone's wearing or whether you're judging what someone's eating or not eating or wearing or not wearing. Yeah, when I was putting salt on my dinner tonight, I literally kept thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, they're probably like, she's using so much salt. No, oh, my God, I didn't even (laughs) notice it. That's so funny. Okay, so that's another point, you guys, if you're listening to this. Stop worrying. I didn't even notice that you put salt. That's hysterical. No, I love salt. Like, I love it. Like, my ex-husband used to tell me that he was going to buy me a salt lick for... Christmas to just put in the kitchen because I love salt. I am dying. And yeah, I like well-seasoned food. That is fantastic. (laughs) And here's the other thing, you guys, just at the end of it all, just to kind of really wrap this up into something that I just love. You do you. So what Nikki just said about salt... Whether it's whether it's you're a big worker outer or you're not or you love to eat healthy foods or you don't like you love video games or you love music or you love to collect frogs. I used to collect frog figurines so that was I the first thing that popped love into you. my head. I did head. not even know that about you. That's <laughs> oh, I had pretty cute. So many frogs. I, I I think my mom actually might still have some of them. But, like, when I was in high school, my entire dresser was covered with frog figurines. And I have no idea why. That's freaking awesome. So, you guys, I'm going to say this, too. Never judge a book by its cover because I'm telling (laughs) you right now I would never have known that about Nikki. But, again, I think just in general, don't judge a book by its cover. You do you. Don't be afraid to go after your dreams, your passions. Don't – and, actually, the last thing I'm going to say because this is a big one for me that I've really taken to heart in the last couple years especially – Haters are going to hate. They're just going to, whether you're successful, whether you have a career they don't really respect at the moment, whether you have kids and they're not a kid person, they're just going to hate. And a lot of the people that hate, unfortunately, they're struggling with something internally and personally, and it's not you. So don't let it impact you. Don't let it change your path. Don't let haters or people that don't believe in you let you just don't don't, don't let, let them get in you your down. way yeah. don't let them bring you down don't let them stop you from going after your big goals and i hope all of you after listening to this go for something really effing huge because guess what guys we have one life you never know what's going to happen tomorrow effing live every single day to the fullest period end of story tell people you love them don't be afraid to look freaking weird don't be afraid to salt your food if that's what you're if that's what your jam is freaking do it i'm so happy nikki enjoyed her pasta with extra salt tonight and didn't like not salt it because she was thinking oh my god jen and aram are gonna judge me that is like such a good example of like you do you and i really (laughs) hope that this inspires you guys not only just to go after something big but also like nikki said salt the pasta collect the freaking frogs live your life and don't worry about what other people are going to think especially in this world of social media where everyone is constantly watching and judging each other comparing remember guys it's only a snapshot you're seeing a snapshot nikki actually and i talked about this this is really the last thing i'm gonna say because this is getting long and i could just go on for days but (laughs) nikki knows me pretty well from social because we follow each other i love her stuff she loves my stuff we are big supporters and lovers of each other but today she got like a real life version of our life and it was like kind of like one catastrophe after the other, nothing major, but just like a few little things, mom life things. We ran to a volleyball game to support my niece. 
We dropped off one daughter at the mall, picked up a friend of hers, you know, got to dinner, saw a bunch of friends there, sat with the owner at dinner. Like, she just kind of, and she was like, whoa. And it's funny, she would never have known all of that. We got the gas for my car. Like, we went up to the trail I walk in. She's like, we're actually sitting, actually, the funniest part of the story. We're sitting in my closet that if you end up following me on Instagram, (laughs) Nikki will, like, put my handle up here if anybody wants to follow, that I do my morning daily videos in. It's actually this tiny little closet with a rug and a mirror that I do my little motivational, like, come do fitness with me, move that bod videos. We're sitting in that right now. Nikki had no idea what this looks like. And Did it's not know. kind of a shoebox, right, Nick? It's adorable. I love it. <laughs> it's a full-on closet, and I'm happy to be here. I so am thank so you for happy. inviting me into your home. Um, you know, I think this was a really fun conversation. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all of your shares and your nuggets of wisdom. Yes, I love I it. mean, you know, I'm on the same page as far as all that stuff goes, especially the fact that we're only here once. We only get this one life. My two things that I always say is always drink the good champagne because yes. you never know. You could get hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> Knock on wood. So let's hope that that doesn't happen. But everybody, be thankful for being here. We only get this one life. Go and live it. When you know better, do better. Thank you so much for listening. Um, go ahead and, you know, like, follow, share all the things. TikTok, Instagram. Thanks do it all. Thanks for being here. And we will talk to you next week.